0: So we're studying spiritual gifts. Our pastor has written a book on spiritual gifts. It's called Cessationism. I'm going to read you a couple excerpts because the chapter we're reading today in 1 Corinthians has much to say about, and Tom has things to say as well. So in the forward. John MacArthur writes the foreword to Tom's book, and what he says in the foreword is, It should be obvious to anyone who observes the modern charismatic movement that the gifts of healing, prophecy, and speaking in tongues practiced by today's Pentecostals are nothing like the apostolic gifts described in Acts and 1 Corinthians, The apostolic office and the miraculous gifts that constitutes the sign of an apostle, 2 Corinthians 12, 12, have ceased. This is self-evident. No one anywhere today can credibly claim to have a healing gift comparable to Peter's or Paul's. Not only that, we don't have apostles anymore. The last apostle was John, and he died in 90 A.D., so, obviously, the gifts of the apostles, the miraculous gifts that gave them credibility, don't have ceased. They're no longer here. He goes on to say, It's a simple fact of history that the true signs of an apostle diminished and faded from use even before the canon of Scripture was complete. But Paul deals with miraculous gifts only in 1 Corinthians where his main purpose is to correct some paleo-charismatics in that church who were abusing their spiritual gifts for self-aggrandizing purposes and disrupting order in the church in a way that actually foreshadowed modern charismatic chaos. So that will be chapter 14 that we'll we'll be studying this morning. It says that apostolic quality miracles are not being done in the church today and a few of the more sane and cautious charismatic leaders have admitted this. Still, they insist that they are not cessationists and cannot embrace cessationism because they cannot find the doctrine anywhere in Scripture. That assertion has become the focus of the debate between cessationists and continuationists. Does the Bible support cessationism? Tom Pennington says, Yes, it does, and he meticulously builds a careful, thoughtful, biblically sound case for cessationism, showing how both scripture and history utterly rule out the continuationist claim. That's what this book is about. I'm going to read you just a little bit of Tom's um, preface for what he talks about. He says, Perhaps you're new to the faith, new to your local church, or simply don't know where you or your church stand on cessationism. As I hope to show you, this is an important yet highly controversial issue that affects millions worldwide. It is crucial for you to know where your church and you personally stand on this subject. He says, perhaps you are convinced of the cessationist position, but you have family or friends who are either in the charismatic movement or have been heavily influenced by it. Unfortunately, many Christians cannot give a biblical defense for the truths they believe and the convictions they hold. Let me ask you, are you prepared to present a thorough biblical defense of what you believe about cessationism? Are you prepared to help others understand the biblical reasons why the miraculous gifts have ceased? If not, you should be. My prayer is that this book will be the starting point in equipping you to defend what you believe it is critical for you to invest in laying a biblical foundation on this issue. So this book's in our bookstore. There's also a great DVD that is um, very helpful in understanding this issue. This issue, I'm telling you, it's all around us. Matter of fact, um, oh, just briefly, Chaz wanted to share a picture with you. That's he and that's Brett, Uh, Brett Stewart, who is also from our class. appears that they're on being transported. Another picture to show you. That's my 13th grandchild. Thank you. And now we're getting back to the lesson. (laughs) So, Linda and I have had some challenges in finding a church in Colorado where we go for a couple of months in the summer, and we met a couple who seemed reasonably sane, and they invited us to go to their church in Aspen, which is a bit of a drive, but as we talked to them, we thought, well, we ought to give it a try. Uh, She sang in the praise team, and he said he was an elder. So, I went on their website, and I looked at um, where they're pastor was from, and he has an electrical engineering degree from Texas Tech University. That's good. He has a master's of theology, uh, theology from Dallas Theological Seminary. Okay. And it said he's author of a book on how to live in prosperity in a suffering world in relational God. Okay, a little, nah, not good about that. And then... In their, um, in their doctrinal statement, I came across this statement about salvation, sanctification, and manifestation. We believe that salvation is the work of spiritual regeneration obtained only by the sovereign grace of God through faith in Jesus Christ. We believe that as well. But then it says, we believe that all the gifts of the Holy Spirit are for the church today as they were for the early church. That is a continuation of statement, and um, and we don't believe that. But let me tell you, the differences in the worship service between charismatic churches is huge. You just don't know what you will get. So we went. We went, knowing that it could be dicey. Well. Uh, when we get there, uh, it seems to be a happy group. Um, they're singing, um, but while they're singing, a, a, a man comes to the front, uh, gets down on all fours, um, and then he lays down prostrate, obviously seeking to bring attention to himself. No one's helping him, um, but he's calling attention to himself. And then at the completion of the singing, the music leader asked to everyone in the room, has anyone gotten a word from the Lord? And my heart sank, and I thought, oh, don't say anything. Please, nobody say anything, because nobody's getting a word from the Lord, right? I mean, there's not prophecy being given to people um, supernaturally today, but Somebody broke the silence. It was our friend, the elder. And his statement was, um, he said, Today, someone in this service will receive miraculous healing of an incurable disease. He said it again. He said, I have a word from the Lord. Today, someone in this service will receive miraculous healing of an incurable disease. And I looked around, there was somebody on crutches, and I thought, man, they ought to run But that was it. That was it, and then the service continued. um, And the pastor, during his message, said this. And he has this also on a blog on the website. At different times, God has sovereignly poured out his spirit upon his people in greater measures, and it will increase in the end. However, with Pentecost, we are no longer just wait for the next great outpouring, but to seek earnestly, desire to prophesy. The church that does not obey the commands of God related to prophecy will be vulnerable as more false prophets in Christ arise in society. In the sermon, he actually said, if you are not receiving revelation today, you can be led astray. And then at the end of his blog, he says this, where are the prophets today? Who are the prophets today? You are the prophets today. Find a church that embraces a healthy pursuit of the gifts of the Spirit. So that's, that's um, how continuation is. Those that believe that the gifts continue conduct their worship services. So why does this matter? Why is this debate something you need to know about? Well, it goes to authority. It goes to authority because everyone who's getting revelation personally themselves becomes the authority, an authority, right? But... We believe that everyone has access to the revelation of the word of God. And that is our authority. What happens when somebody's prophecy disagrees with the word of God? It's a question of authority. And then it's a question of intent. The miraculous gifts were given at a certain time in the history of the church. And they were given to authenticate those who would write Scripture. And when Scripture was completed, there was no longer the need for those miraculous gifts. And they have ceased. It's important that we understand that as we come to chapter 14 today. So just briefly putting this into context, we're in chapter 14 It's what is the purpose of spiritual gifts, and it's the edification of the church. Our outline, we're still where Paul is answering questions. He's been giving correction, and he's been answering questions that have come to him from the Corinthians. And when you think about what Paul's doing, Paul is shepherding a church. He loves these people. He spent 18 months with them, which isn't really a very long time when you consider that all of these people these in the Corinthian church came out of a grossly immoral, perverted society. And there is no model of Christianity, no prior generation of Christianity in this group of people. And as they've come to faith in Jesus Christ, they've also brought into their church all of these practices that happened in their culture. And what Paul is systematically doing is helping them come to understand what the church truly is and how to live holy lives through walking by the Spirit. So there's lots of behavior that he's correcting, but he's doing it in love, patiently treating these people as those who God has saved. When we picked up in chapter 12, we began three chapters that have to do with the spiritual gifts. Chapter 12, and I'm going to give you three E's, so maybe it'll help you remember. When you come to chapter 12, that was the endowment of the spiritual gifts. That's where we learn the definition of the spiritual gifts and how we receive them. They received, it said in chapter 12, verse 7, by each one for the common good talks about how the Spirit gives as He wills, that God has placed those with spiritual gifts as He desires, and that we are Christ's body and individually members. And that the definition of spiritual gifts is that the moment of salvation, every believer without exception is given a supernatural spiritual ability by the Holy Spirit. And all Christians are obligated to exercise their spiritual giftedness to the glory of God and for the building up, building up, edifying, the building up of one another in the church. We looked in chapter 12 that there's temporary miraculous gifts, that would be apostleship, miracles, healing, tongues, and then there's the permanent ministering gifts that are in the church today, that you have one of these gifts. These are some of them. This isn't a exhaustive list, but you have a spiritual gift and it may it, it fit in one of the categories of these permanent ministering gifts. Preaching and prophecy, teaching, exhortation, service, helps, leading, administrating, giving, showing mercy, faith, spiritual discernment, evangelism, shepherding, teaching. These are not an exhaustive list of the permanent gifts, but that's an example of the permanent gifts. They're in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Then we come to chapter 13. We see what the essential element, that was from the lesson last week. What was the essential element in ministering the spiritual gifts? Do you remember? It's love. So endowment, chapter 12, essential element in chapter 13, Chapter 14, we're going to look at the purpose of the spiritual gifts. Edify, edify. So endowment, essential, and edify. Paul's going to identify what the purpose of uh, God has in giving spiritual gifts to believers, and it's to edify those who assemble together as Christ's church. He's going to use a contrast in this chapter between two of the miraculous gifts of tongues and the gift of prophecy to emphasize the purpose of the spiritual gifts in the church. So 1 Corinthians is one of the earliest books written in the New Testament. So the miraculous gifts were still operational in the church at that point in time. And Paul needed to address the corruption of the gift of tongues by some of the church. So as with other problems in the church, the Corinthians brought the pagan practices from their previous worship into the church. So some of those who claimed to exercise the gift of tongues were doing this ecstatic utterances, unintelligible speech, this gibberish. They were seeking to exalt themselves in the church by interrupting the service with their own speaking. The desire for recognition was so overwhelming that some counterfeit the gift of tongues, And created chaos in the church. Paul corrects the selfish motive behind corruption of the use of tongues that disrupts the church. And he encourages the selfless motive in the use of prophecy to edify the church. Okay, so what's going on in the church today? Paul's not addressing that because this is in the church today. And he's addressing what was going on in the church, in the Corinthian church. But it's remarkably similar, isn't it? The way that some of these things are taking place that interrupt the service, that bring attention to individuals, and that are disruptive. But what Paul's dealing with is what's going on in the Corinthian church. So although both spiritual gifts and prophecies, or both spiritual gifts, prophecy and tongues were temporary and ceased when the canon of Scripture was complete, what we're going to try to do today is we're looking at these two and the contrast that Paul gives. Let's look at the principles that he's teaching us about how spiritual gifts are to be used in the church today. And I think we can get those. Now, we talk about the gift of tongues. Specifically, what we're talking about is... um, where we're we're told about them is just three times in all of Scripture. Three times, other than what we have in our our chapter today. And they're all in Acts. The first one's very familiar. It's at the day of Pentecost from Acts 2, where it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. They began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So they were speaking in other tongues. It goes on to say, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the crowd came together and they were bewildered because each of them were hearing them speak in his own language. The gift of tongues was a language that could be understood by those that were hearing it. It was a language that was given them supernaturally because they didn't learn the language or know the language. So that's what happened on the day of Pentecost. They were amazed and astonished saying, why are not all these men who are speaking Galilean? And how is it that each one of them, we hear in our own language to which we were born? Again, in Acts 10, we see when Peter is at the house of Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. Jews didn't go to Gentiles' houses. Gentiles were not um, those that were welcomed into the uh, uh, Jews' religion. And at this point, the Lord made it clear to Peter that the message was to go to the Gentiles. And here's how he made it clear to Peter. While Peter was still speaking, this is Acts 10, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell among all those who were listening to the message. All the circumcised believers who came with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out of the Gentiles also, for they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. So again, it was this sign that the Holy Spirit was given to the Gentiles, which meant that they were also to receive Uh, the Holy Spirit, and they were also to be included in the message. They were going to be included um, in those that hear the gospel and are responding to the gospel. So, when we come to this chapter 14, the gift of tongues was the gift of languages. It's being corrupted, and we'll see how that takes, takes shape. Our book theme again is, For I Determine to Know Nothing Among You Except Jesus Christ and Him Crucified. So our lesson verse today is, So also you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Theme is, God has given spiritual gifts to believers to edify everyone who's part of the local church. In our verses today, we will see the priority, the profit, and the purpose, and the potential of spiritual gifts. Let's read chapter 14, verses 1 through 5. Pursue love, yet desire earnestly spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands, but in his spirit he speaks mysteries. But one who prophesies speaks to men for edification and exhortation and consolation. One who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. Now I wish that you all spoke in tongues, but even more that you would prophesy. And greater is the one who prophesies than one who speaks in tongues, unless he interprets. So that the church may receive edifying. Clearly, the word edify is important in these verses. It means to build up. And its purpose is that one would desire the spiritual gifts in order to edify the church. You know, we ended last week with pursue love from chapter 14, verse 1. Pursue love, it means with effort, intensity, determination, with your heart, mind, and soul. That's to be the essential element in the exercise of our spiritual gifts. What we share with one another in this church. Pursue love. Yet earnestly desire spiritual gifts. Earnestly desire to be able to use what God has given you, made you a steward of. But especially that you may prophesy. Why? He's made He's Paul's clearly showing that the priority of spiritual gifts, prophecy is the priority. Again, prophecy is a supernatural ability to speak direct revelation from God to his people. Some examples from Scripture are Moses, of course, who spoke the law to his, given directly from God to his people, all the Old Testament prophets, the apostles. practiced a miraculous gift of prophecy, having received direct revelation from God and became the author of, of the New Testament scriptures. And then, of course, Jesus, who is God and the greatest prophet. The gift was essential before the completion of the New Testament. But it ended when the canon closed with the death of the last apostle, John. Now tongues is the miraculous ability to speak a foreign language, just like we saw in Acts chapter 2. Exercising the gift of tongues without interpretation does not edify the church. Why does he say that? Because in verse 2 it says, For the one who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. So when that was going on in the church, those that were speaking in tongues were ignoring the people because only God could understand what they were saying. That's not the purpose of spiritual gifts is to ignore the people. In this book, Tom says, when someone exercises the gift of prophecy, the congregation immediately understood because it was in their native language. But for the church to understand someone exercising the gift of tongues required someone with the gift of interpretation. Why? Because in verse 2, he says, For no one understands. It fails to communicate. But in his spirit, he speaks mysteries. Again, Tom said, Without the interpretation of tongues, God's people could not understand the one speaking mysteries. God intends for spiritual gifts to edify believers. The gift of tongues required someone to interpret. Exercises the gift of prophecy, exhorts, consoles, and edifies the church. So in contrast to that, verse 3 says, But the one who prophesies speaks to men, communicates. What does he communicate? Communicates for edification, which is instruction. Communicates for exhortation, which is encouragement. Communicates for consolation, which is comfort. That's what prophecy does. It helps people grow in their faith, it points them to Jesus, and it exhorts them to live holy lives. It's like it says in 1 Thessalonians 2.11, just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father with his own children, that you would walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So verse 4 says, the one who speaks in a tongue edifies himself but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So speaking in a foreign language or speaking this, this gibberish as the Corinthians were corrupting the gift, others can't understand it it can only edify themselves. But prophecy took place in a public worship service when the church assembled for praise, prayer, and instruction and built everyone that was attendance up. So the priority of spiritual gifts is for the edification of the church over the individual. When Paul says in verse 5, Now I wish that all of you spoke in tongues. What he's saying is, it's hyperbole there. He knows he's not God's plan, but he says, But even more that you would prophesy. That's the priority. You know, the way that Paul said that is very similar to the way that uh, Moses said to Joshua when Eldad and Medad were prophesying in the camp. This is from Numbers eleven twenty-seven 27 through 29. So a young man ran to Moses and said, Eldad and Medad are prophesying in the camp, and then Joshua, the son of Nun, the attendant of Moses, said, Moses, my Lord, restrain them, stop them. But Moses said to him, are you jealous for my sake? Would that all of the Lord's people were prophets, that the Lord would put his spirit upon them. Were all of the Lord's people prophets? No, that's not what Moses is saying. But he's saying that there's a priority to this gift. And, you know, if all of the people had it, that wouldn't be a bad thing. But not all the people have it. It's just a way of of emphasizing the benefit of that gift. Because we know in 1 Corinthians 12, 29, it said, all are not prophets, are they? All are not apostles, are they? No, they're not. All are not teachers, are they? All are not workers of miracles, all they? All do not have the gift of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? All do not interpret, do they? Again, the point here is there's a variety of spiritual gifts, and they're not all given to each, to people, every person individually. But in verse 5, Paul goes on to say, greater is the one who prophesies than the one who speaks in tongues, and unless he interprets. Interpretation communicates so that the church may receive edifying. When it communicates, there's the benefit of edification. Kistemaker says, and when the congregation is edified, then the basic principle of love prevails. So, The priority of spiritual gifts is clearly based on how the exercise of the gift edifies the church. Prophecy was a priority because of the edification that it brought to the church. Well, Now we get the profit from spiritual gifts. Look at verse 6 from chapter 14. But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking in tongues, what will I profit you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge or of prophecy or of teaching? Yet even lifeless things, either the flute or the harp, in producing the sound, if they do not produce a distinction in the tones, how will it be known what is played on the flute or on the harp? For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, Who will prepare himself for battle? So also you, unless you utter by the tongue speech that is clear, how will it be made known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me. So also, you, since you are zealous of spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. Okay, so the church will be edified from hearing revelation through knowledge, prophecy, and teaching that gain them understanding. Verse six, he speaks, he, he comes back and he calls them brethren, but now brethren, He wants them to understand. He's bringing them to his uh, same equality. I speak to you as brothers. But if I come speaking to you in tongues, by the way, Paul never did. Paul never came to them speaking in tongues. Why? We're going to get that later in the chapter, but I'll tell you what it says. Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, see, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. See, the issue is communication. And what Paul's saying is he wants the communication to be clear. He says in verse six, what will I profit you? Again, that's Paul's goal. Profit is how will I edify you unless I speak to you either by way of revelation or of knowledge, or of prophecy, or of teaching. Those are what build up. They build others up by helping them grow in their faith, revelation and knowledge. They build them up by pointing them to Jesus Christ, prophecy and teaching, and they instruct them on how to live holy lives. The church is not edified by the exercise of tongues that fail to communicate. And then Paul's going to give some examples of what happens when there's a failure to communicate. And the first one is the example of a flute or a harp that fails to communicate without sensible sounds. He said, look, even lifeless things, like the flute or the harp, when they produce a sound, if they fail to produce a distinction in the tones, how will we know what is played on the flute or harp? Look, when the flute or harp are played, there's an intentional uh, effort to communicate music, a song. There's a plan. It's it's written in the music. That's why there's a requirement if you're going to play in the, in the, in the orchestra here, you got to be able to read music. Otherwise, it's just noise. And then he goes on to say, the example of a bugle that fails to communicate without the right note. For if the bugle produces an indistinct sound, who will it prepare for battle? You know, that's the... Instrument that's going to call the soldiers to assemble to prepare for battle, but one bugle that cannot hit the right note—it's not going to be able to communicate. So there'll be no one to come when the when this exhortation is to charge. The bugle failed to assemble them. Doesn't communicate. That's the point. Verse nine. So also you, unless you utter by tongue speech that is clear, how will it be named what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. Useless speech that lacks clarity and cannot be comprehended is like speaking into the air. It's just noise. The last example is that of a foreign language. Verse 10 There are perhaps a great many kinds of languages in the world, and no kind is without meaning. It's a common purpose. All languages have, and that's to communicate. They have meaning. Verse 11. If then I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be to the one who speaks a barbarian. A barbarian meaning one that's from a different ethnic group. Somebody that You can't connect with because you can't communicate. And he says, and the one who speaks will be a barbarian to me because I can't understand him either. We took many mission trips to Mexico when I was working in the high school and college groups. And when I got into a situation where there was nobody that spoke English, which wasn't often a lot of folks uh, speak English in Mexico, but when I did, I was in trouble because I could speak a little Spanish. But if the person didn't speak any English, they didn't understand my Spanish. Most of my Spanish just had the right accent. <laughs> so I was like a barbarian to them and, and they were like a barbarian to me. We, we couldn't connect. We didn't speak the same language Couldn't communicate with each other. The church is not edified by a message that lacks clarity and cannot be comprehended. So speak spiritual gifts that will edify the church. Verse 12, that's our our theme verse for today. It says, So also you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, I mean, that's what the Corinthians appeared to be anyway. They, are, they were very excited about this gift of tongues. He says, look, since you're zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to abound for the edification of the church. That seek to abound, it means to excel. Excel in your ministering of the spiritual gifts but the ones that edify the church. Pretty clear. Pretty clear what the the, uh, message is here. There's a priority. The priority is the gift that gives the greatest impact, the spiritual gift that gives the greatest impact in building up the church. The priority is uh, prophecy. The prophet to the church comes from the intelligible instruction that comes through that way. And now we get to the purpose. The purpose of spiritual gifts. Let's read 13 through 19. Therefore, let the one who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. What is the outcome then? I will pray with the Spirit, I will pray with the mind also. I will sing with the Spirit, I will sing with the mind also. Otherwise, if you bless in the Spirit only, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted say the amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you are saying? For you are giving thanks well enough, but the other person is not edified. I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. However, in the church, I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others rather than 10,000 words in a tongue. Again, the exercise of spiritual gifts should engage the mind and the spirit. The goal is for communication. And when it says in verse 13, let the one who speak in a tongue pray that he may interpret, the goal is for the benefit of of edification. and If the interpreter is not present, the speaker must remain silent. He says, for if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So there's not this, this um, picture of somebody emptying their mind, losing their mind, not using their mind, having their emotion overtake their mind. That's not the picture. He says, what's the outcome then? He says, I will pray with the spirit and I will pray with the mind also. The spirit and the mind must both be engaged in the exercise of prayer to speak prayers publicly that can be understood by all in attendance for their edification. The mind can't be vacated. The mind must be engaged. All through Scripture you see that. 1 Corinthians 1.10, when... um, Paul was saying, "I exhort you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree, and there be no no divisions among you, but that you may be made complete in the same mind, and in the same judgment." In First Corinthians two sixteen, he says, "For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he will instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ." The mind's important. Part of our worship. Romans 12, 2 says, and do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. In verse 15, Paul goes on to say, I will sing with the spirit, and I will sing with the mind also. Because when we sing, we sing praises to the Lord and we sing the words that we're singing have meaning. I didn't know this, but some of the choir members told me that sometimes Seth may change some words to a song. Did you know that? I didn't know that, but he does because the words are important and the words are to instruct, the words are to praise, the words that we sing sing should be renewing our mind, our minds to be engaged when we sing. As the spirit and the mind are engaged in praying, the same must occur as we sing. So the exercise of spiritual gifts should engage the mind and the spirit. Verse 16 says, Otherwise, if you bless, bless meaning there, offer praise to God and worship, in the spirit only, in this unintelligible communication, how will the one who fills the place of the ungifted, the ungifted is somebody who's unlearned or unskilled, say amen? The amen there um, in the Hebrew means agreement. It means so let it be. In the Southern Baptist Church, we often heard that. Amen! At the end of many... um, Things that a pastor would say, they would break up the service often with amens. Well, that's not possible in this service because he doesn't understand what they're saying. He says, even at your, at your giving of thanks in verse 16, since he does not know what you're saying, there can be no agreement. Again, the exercise of spiritual gifts. Will not edify the church if they're not understood. Verse 17, he says, For you're giving thanks well enough, but the other person's not edified. Why is the other person not edified? Because you have totally disregarded him. He's frustrated, he's confused, he's bored. It violates love. Verse 18, he says, Paul says, I thank God I speak tongues more than all of you. The exercise of spiritual gifts are to provide instruction to edify the church. When he says that, Paul says, however, in the church I desire to speak five words with my mind so that I may instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue that doesn't instruct others. Tom says in his book, for Paul, true worship always requires the worshiper's mind be engaged and understand the things of God. So the priority is the spiritual gift that has the greatest impact in building up the church. The profit is to the church. It comes from instruction that communicates. And the purpose is to engage the mind and soul in biblical instruction so as to edify the church. So finally, the last part of this section is the potential of spiritual gifts. Read verse 25 or 20 through 25 with me. Brethren, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be infants, but in your thinking be mature. In the law it is written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people, and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then, tongues are a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers." But prophecy is a sign not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are mad? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is convicted by all. He is called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. And so he will fall on his face and worship God, declaring that God is certainly among you. There's some beautiful verses right there. So what he says in verse 22, excuse me, in verse 20, he says, brethren, do not be children in your thinking, because that's what They were being. They were being childlike. They were being loveless. They were being carnal. They were being selfish. And they were being proud. He says, Don't be children in your thinking. Yet, in evil, be infants. They were seeking to exalt themselves, they were ignoring others. But he says, But in your thinking, be mature. Paul appeals to them to be mature. What he's saying to them, in in all respects, is what? Grow up. Right? But they were not interested in truth, but experience. They were hedonistic in their pursuit of good feelings over sound doctrine or holy living. They were interested in pleasing themselves, but not the Lord or his people. In verse 21, he says, In the law it's written, by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers, I will speak to this people. So what Paul's doing here, he's quoting Isaiah 28. Isaiah 28, verse 11. Indeed, he will speak to this people through stammering lips and foreign tongues. He who said to them, Here is rest, give rest to the weary, and here is repose, and they would not listen. Even so, they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So one of the commentators, Garland, who I read, says this. What Paul's referring to here is, since Israel refused to heed what God spoke to them through Isaiah in an understandable language, God then approaches them by means of a foreign language of the conquering Assyrians. Since they are not able to understand this message, it assures their unbelief, and becomes a sign of judgment. Verse 22, so then tongues are for a sign not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. It was as if on the day of Pentecost when those were speaking in tongues, it was a sign to the nation of Israel, that God was turning away from them as being his, his people. And he was turning to the nations and that the gospel would go unto all the nations. It was a sign of judgment that Israel would be hardened. Yet we know In Romans, it tells us that all Israel will be saved, that God has a plan for the nation of Israel. But at this point, it was a sign of judgment. When God speaks, unintelligibly is to judge. In the Corinthian context, speaking in other tongues will fail to convey any meaningful message to bring repentance, just as it failed to do in Isaiah's day. The citation from Isaiah makes it clear that tongues are not a saving sign but a sign of retribution. But prophecy, on the other hand, it says in verse 22, is not to unbelievers, but to those who believe. Believers are edified by prophecy that provides instruction, encouragement, and comfort. That's what we saw in verse 5. Then in verse 23, it says, Therefore, if the whole church assembles together and all speak in tongues, that would be a disaster. And it seems like that this is hypothetically, but it's either he's talking about those who are speaking a foreign language or this gibberish. The ungifted men are unbelievers in her. So those that are unacquainted with Christianity that are unbelievers, they come into this assembly and what happens for them? They can't understand anything. And they look around and they go, You people are crazy. This place is nuts. And they leave. They're gone. And you know what? They leave and they're unchanged in any way. That's sad, isn't it? It's very sad. All they come in and see is a bunch of bizarre behavior. And they leave. But the potential of exercising the spiritual gift may lead an unbeliever to saving faith. Verse 24, but if all prophesy, and again, this is hypothetically, but if they receive prophecy, they receive the gospel. They receive instruction about a holy God. Says, when this unbeliever or this ungifted man enters, he's convicted. He's convicted as a sinful man. He's convicted of his sin because prophecy points to Christ, points the individual to the sin in their lives and their need for a Savior. It calls him to repentance. It says he is called to account by all. It says the secret of his hearts are disclosed so he will fall on his face and worship God. That's what happens when the Lord saves someone after they've heard the gospel. The job of the church and the job of believers is to accurately present the gospel, that there is a holy God and that the holy God has, our holy God has a standard. He's creator. His standard is perfection for man. And yet men fail. All men are sinful. All men fall short. As a result, they're condemned sinners. It says that they'll, they'll have eternal punishment. And there's nothing they can do on their own to bring themselves to be reconciled to God. There's no good works, there's no good intentions that will bring him to a right standing before God. It leads them to fall on their face, to cry out to God, like Luke 18, verse 13, that the tax collector, standing some distance away, was even unwilling to lift up his eyes to heaven, but he was beating his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, the sinner, That's what prophecy does, proclamation of God's word. Prophecy, by contrast, has the potential to penetrate the innermost sanctum of an unbeliever's soul with the laser light of divine judgment. It presents evidence that causes the individual to be scrutinized, exposed, and convicted of sin or of the truth. And it leads them to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when God saves them, they're broken. Just like everyone in us in this room, we're broken when we came to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he brings forgiveness. He brings righteousness that we can't earn ourselves It leads these people then to declare that God is certainly among you. What a great testimony to the ministry of this church that points to Christ and that God is exalted. That verse 25 again is a quote by Paul from Isaiah 45 that says, Surely God is with you, and there is none else. There is no other God. What a contrast. What a contrast of worship services where one where the gift of tongues that was unintelligible resulted in an unbeliever thinking everybody was crazy and leaving unchanged versus where the exercise of the gift of prophecy resulted in unbelieving understanding the holiness of God and confessing their own sinfulness and crying out for salvation. One left the church unchanged the other left the church as a new creation, declaring that God is certainly among you. Remarkable. Well, let's look at some application. The exercise of your spiritual gifts should edify the others in church. Excel, it says in verse 12. Again, just want to hammer that home. Because that's so important. That's what Paul wants us to see in this contrast. Verse 10, 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Let no one seek his own good, but that of his neighbor. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 4 through 7. There are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God, who works all things and all persons. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit. For the common good. The exercise of your spiritual gifts should not exclude those who visit our church. you know we can't, we can't ignore the people around us it almost it almost looks like we're being partial with this sense of partiality that James condemns in chapter 2 verse 8 he says, however if you're fulfilling the royal law according to scripture you shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's what you should be doing. You're doing well. But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and you are convicted by the law as transgressors. That's when we ignore those that are around us in our service. But Philippians 2, on the other hand, says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, doing nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of nine, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Finally, the exercise of our spiritual gift in the church should result in unbelievers coming to saving faith and perceiving that God is certainly among us. First Timothy 2, this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires that all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, the testimony given at the proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling the truth, I'm not lying as a teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and truth. So... To answer the charismatic pastor's question, who are the prophets today? They are deceased. They have completed the role that God gave them. That's where are the prophets today. Who are the prophets today? There are not any. God is speaking to us through his word. Here's what it says in 2 Peter 1.19. So we have the prophetic word made more sure to which you do well to pay attention as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arrives in your hearts. But know this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy has ever been made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. His last admonition was, find a church that embraces a healthy pursuit of the gifts of the Spirit. I agree. That's what we need to do. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful, Lord. We're thankful that you have empowered us, you have endued us, you've given each of us gifts that we can serve in this church. And Father, you've made it clear that these gifts are to be ministered through our love. But you've also made it clear that there's a priority in the way that we're to and the gifts that we're given in the way that we're to minister them. The priority is to be to edify the church. That is the profit that comes from us using our spiritual gifts. It's the purpose for all gifts is that they're used in a way that builds up the body, that, that builds faith, that points to Jesus Christ. Father, help us to use our gift in that way, no matter what it is that it would be to the glory of God, and that its potential would be to help others see how the love of Christ radiates through us, that they may be drawn to the gospel, and, Lord, they might respond in repentance and faith. Father, we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.